Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Long Game with L.D. Leach. Welcome to this special episode of The Long Game with L.D. and Leach from The Recount. I'm L.D. Granderson and I'm in L.A. I am Will Leach. I am also in L.A. It's Super Bowl week, and look at all the people that we have with us. This is amazing. Absolutely, Will. Today, we're going to recognize the achievements of quite possibly the most important player in Rams history, if not in NFL history, Kenny Washington, who in 1946 became the first black athlete in the modern era to sign an NFL contract. Washington broke the color barrier a year before his teammate Jackie Robinson did, and even though Jackie Robinson is obviously a household name— Kenny Washington is not, despite the impact he's had on the NFL. So joining us today to discuss Kenny Washington's legacy and the NFL's continuing issues with race, in case you hadn't heard, they have a continuing issue with race, uh, Super Bowl champion Keyshawn Johnson, Newsday football columnist Bob Glauber, who co-wrote The Forgotten First with Keyshawn, which is a fantastic book about the NFL's first black players, and Craig Washington, Kenny Washington's grandson. Will? Yeah, so I want to... The, the concept of the book, how this started, where the, the idea came from. Keyshawn, did Bob come to you? How did this thing initially get constructed? Two years ago, Bob reached out and he had an idea of writing a book. Now, when he first reached out, I didn't really know exactly what he wanted, knowing he was a columnist from Newsday. And so, you know, I'm like, well, what the hell does Bob want now? He covered <laughs> me with the Jets. And so it became one of those issues. All right, he's looking to spread germs. He wants to talk about the team. <laughs> And so I said, all right, let me call him back. So we had a conversation and Bob said, hey, I I really want to write this book. What do you think about it? And so I thought about it. I don't know how long it took. It was not long at all. And I was like, yeah, this is the project that I would want to associate myself with, given the fact that everything that was going on in our lives at that time frame, from a political standpoint of what was going on in Washington, D.C., to the point of across America, where brown and black individuals were being gunned down, beaten down, whatever you want to call it, down in the streets of the United States and losing their lives. And all of those sort of things just made sense to be able to put this book in motion. And uh, Bob asked me how involved I wanted to be. And one of the things I said is it's cool to get a check and attach my name to it. But there's more than just that. I can't cross the T's and dot the I's and put the commas in the right places and do all of that sort of stuff and spell correctly like he can as a writer, but I can certainly be involved to a whole nother level. And so that's why we decided to do it. I'm not sitting up writing 
500 pages. Of, of, <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. Yeah, That's I would, not I, I no, would, no, no, he is not. I would not do that if I were Keyshawn Johnson either. I wouldn't bother. I'm Keyshawn Johnson. I need to do that. Bob, one of the things that's really remarkable to me, how little Kenny Washington's name is known in the public populace. What was it specifically about him that you kind of discovered while you were putting the book together? Yeah, well, Will, I was in the Giants locker room and looking around and I'm noticing, and like, I'm a journalist. I'm curious about things. How did things get this way? This is the most diverse workplace that you'll ever see. Black players, white players, predominantly black players are like, oh, was it always like this? Well, I've been covering since 1985, man. I've been around for a while. And it's like, no, it wasn't always like this. And then I'm like, okay, go back further. And I literally Googled in the Giants locker room, NFL integration, first black player. And I came across Kenny Washington. And I am, I guess, embarrassed to say that I didn't know who Kenny Washington was. Keyshawn didn't. And I'm like, if I don't know this, and I'm 30 years into this career of covering pro football, I don't think a lot of people know this. And I was just stunned. You know, you go into the layers of who was Kenny Washington, why was Kenny Washington important, then you realize there is this untold history of the NFL that nobody knows about. And it was fascinating. And Keyshawn and I really connected instantly on it. I've known him for 25 years. I was a pain in the ass columnist (laughs) covering him with the Jets. We did have our moments, but he always knew that I was pure of heart in terms of how I was trying to cover the team. And I think that shows that we've known each other for more than 25 years. And and that's how it connected. Bob, don't worry about it. I'm sure he deserved every single word that you wrote. (laughs) He did. did. (laughs) (laughs) Craig, what was it like for you? Because the really intriguing thing is that not only did Kenny and Jackie know each other, but they were roommates at UCLA. And you, as the grandchild, living in the Los Angeles area, knowing how much the country, if not the world, know about your grandfather's roommate, but they don't know about the sacrifices that your grandfather's made. Like, how difficult was that for you, just being a member of the family, knowing that this history was being ignored? Well, it it was tough for not only me, for my brother and my sister as well. Even though growing up, I only had maybe four or five years to spend with my grandfather, which isn't a long time before he passed away. But the stories that we've heard from my father, obviously, and some of his best friends that explained what happened to my grandfather and how our family didn't go out and boast about our grandfather's accomplishments. But as far as what happened to us and and to me and how I felt about it, again, I didn't have that much time to spend with my grandfather. I do remember him vaguely in the hospital when he was passing away, but those are the only memories that I had. So as far as us growing up, it was good in our house because the the kids in the community when we were younger would come by and want to see the helmets and see the, the things. And they didn't understand the impact that he had. They just want to be a part of something great. And we were glad in Dimebard to be able to provide a little bit of that entertainment for them. That had been some family frustration. The fact that Kenny Washington should be one of the most famous, as if not as famous a name as Jackie Robinson, and he hasn't been. How did that affect the family just for years, not having that be acknowledged, not just by the NFL, but even having it not being public knowledge? Well, we have to take some accountability and some responsibility, too, as a family. I mean, we could have made it happen. Okay, we could have went out there and pounded the pavement and pounded our chests and did the things necessary to make it happen. But the struggles that we had growing up were my father being Kenny Washington Jr. And that must have been really tough for him to grow up in L.A. with all those expectations. So 
I, I kind of understand on my dad's point of how he didn't necessarily push for his father in that sense. But again, we hold some responsibility in this too. We could have made it happen. And now that we are part of something big that is going to make it happen, all we can do is move forward and not worry about what we didn't do or what wasn't done in the past. Hey, I, I as a journalist, I'll take some responsibility for not pushing that, <laughs> not knowing it. I mean, Craig, it, you can't take that on. I mean, history should have done I mean, that. This is job, our job, you know? man. We didn't do your it. Family. It's actually Will's <laughs> we didn't do it. Yeah, I think full responsibility. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we're taking all the responsibility. It's me, Craig. Craig, it's me. I'm sorry. It's me the whole time. We've done a pretty good job of going out there and reaching out to folks. But at the end of the day, yeah, you're right. The community holds a a large responsibility for what this man has has given back to Los Angeles, bringing the ramps from Cleveland back over here. Little things like that. Yeah, people should have pushed for him. But it didn't happen. We could have picked up the ball. And again, I know I'm speaking for my brother and the rest of the family. We're not going to hold anybody hostage for doing something that we could have helped. I'm sorry. That's just me. But I am curious as to now that this book has been written and the NFL has begun to acknowledge the legacy, what exactly are they doing as far as this upcoming weekend over the Super Bowl to acknowledge Kenny? The NFL has invited members of the Washington family, all four families, Kenny Washington, Woody Strode, Marion Motley from the Browns and Bill Willis, his teammate with Cleveland. They're all they've all been invited by Roger Goodell. Uh, and the NFL to go to the game, and there will be a ceremony before the game honoring the legacies of these men. Okay, see, I knew that the other families were going, but I was not aware that there there was going to be something before the game or anything like that. Yeah, I was going to say, get yourself prepared. Looks like like that's happening. There might be a little spotlight on you, Craig. But I have to tell you, LZ, you have been an important part of this process because you know, you, oh, you, <laughs> no, you know, Keyshawn hates giving credit to anybody, but you had this vision. You expressed it in the column. This is an LA story. Imagine if Kenny Washington and, and these guys were celebrated in Los Angeles, the birthplace of integration in the modern NFL at the Super Bowl. What better way? And, and then when you wrote that, this was a pipe dream, right? The NFL has embraced this. I don't think they've purposely ignored it. I think they just were not aware, like the rest of us, that that this was was happening. Like you said, and no disrespect to the NFL, these last few months, they've really reached out to us and taken care of us, and we greatly appreciate of it. Despite the fact that Keyshawn was involved, the NFL is... You know what? You keep keep banging on one of my favorite receivers of all time. He's my guy. When you said that he was getting involved, I was like, let's do this thing, man. Because Keyshawn, I think you're a special talent all the way around. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Well, Key, it is interesting that you obviously are a big part of L.A. sports culture and just L.A. culture in general. What was the most shocking part of this process of writing this book for you? What did you discover that you had no idea about besides, obviously, Kenny Washington's legacy? Well, you know, let's start there. Growing up in L.A. Unified School District or even in the school district of Detroit, New York, wherever anybody was raised, you did not, especially when it came to black history, we got maybe four or five people that changed, whether it was activists or whatever you want to call it from a black cultural standpoint that we were taught in our texts, in our books. 
And you being a professor, LZ, you know what I'm talking about. There was the Rosa Parks, and and depending on what school you went to, maybe they mentioned a Malcolm X here and there. Dr. King was always mentioned. And we got the sports. It was Jackie Robinson, Muhammad Ali, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, which was Lou Alcindor. That was it. You didn't get anything else. You know, you, you maybe get a Sidney Poitier in a movie, and, and, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> maybe you know? Sidney. Maybe just a little <laughs> bit of Sidney. Maybe. Sydney. <laughs> maybe. And so... Living in Los Angeles, going to the LA Unified School District, playing at Jackie Robinson Stadium, which is Dorsey High School's football stadium, that's all you knew. You didn't know anything else because it wasn't taught to us. It wasn't mentioned. There was no award celebrated. There was just nothing. There was zero. And then as Bob and myself started to dive into the book, I did my own little bit of research and homework on certain things. And Bob obviously ran with the rest of it. You just learned about a lot of little devious things that look, I know bigotry and racism exist. It was way back when because it was just the history of our country. But I did not know things like owners going so far as to deliberately keep players off of teams or out of leagues because of color of their skin. I just figured, oh, black guys can't play. They didn't want them in that Dan Hayes because they just wasn't good enough. But then you learn, it's like, oh, wait a minute, hold on, man. That's the best dude going. How, how can he be the best player in college football and not be drafted? That doesn't make any damn sense. And then you just learn. You look at George Preston Marshall, the owner of the Washington Redskins at the time, which has changed their name like seven times since then, how hateful he was as an owner. It's sickening to think that some people would go out of their way deliberately just to not allow a person of color to participate in a sport. They would do anything not to do that. You So you learn those sort of things. Or you learn that Marion Motley along the way played for the Cleveland Browns. And when he retired, he wanted to be an assistant football coach. And he wasn't allowed to do it because wink, wink, there's no room on the staff. Well, wait a minute, man. It was room on the team when I wanted to play, <laughs> but there's no room on the staff now that I want to coach. That sounds familiar. And then you, yes, it does. <laughs> and, exactly. <laughs> then you learn along the way he wanted to hang out with his teammate who was a head coach of the Washington team, and his teammate didn't have any answers for him, couldn't help him out, and Otto Graham, then he goes and he coaches a semi-pro women's team, not a men's team, not a junior league, a women's semi-pro team, just to try to teach and show them, hey, I can coach too. Just give me an opportunity, a chance. But he never got the chance to fulfill or live his dream as a coach because of the hatred and the bigotry which lived in our country way back then and still at some points in times live here today. And we still see, as you mentioned, what is going on today resonated way back when, and yet and still, we're talking, you know, 75 years ago, whatever the number is, and we still dealing with the same chaotic behavior of the owners today that we dealt with yesterday. I kind of want to see how eloquently I did that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, so, I, I, thank you. I was about so to you transition that up, myself. Though, you, I'm saying no, that. No, <laughs> you transitioned perfectly. I said that was the next question I was going to ask. Because certainly it is, because <laughs> it's great. It is obviously undeniably great that Goodell is doing this honoring before the game and all of this is happening. That is fantastic. 
I don't think Roger Goodell minds being able to have this public moment after the week that he's had. I'm curious about how one squares that circle with Goodell trying to both reap the benefits of being like, now we are honoring, but also uh, still being a part of some of the same kind of uh, things we saw back then happening now. Yeah, let me jump in on that, Will, because this idea of honoring them has been going on for several months. Oh, no, I know he didn't probably out this this week. I I know that. I know that. Right. No, he didn't like, uh, okay, oh, let's uh, let's call Craig Washington and his family and and, and bring yeah. take some heat off of course. Of no, course. they just do that with Lovey Smith. Nah, they didn't do that say- with Craig Washington and his family. <laughs> Stop. Uh, they didn't do that with Lovey Smith. Man, you know good and damn well they did that with Lovey Smith. They Max. did not. <laughs> Lovey's a good coach. Yes, he is a good coach who they did not bring up three weeks ago. Well, it was quiet. <laughs> <laughs> it was quiet, yeah. You know, the NFL is it's a league made up of 32 teams to a degree, but it's independent of those 32 teams. Roger Goodell is the commissioner, but each owner family have minds of their own thoughts of their own. They don't listen to the NFL. The NFL is a governing body. It's a part of them, but they make their own minds and decisions up. Roger Goodell and Troy Vincent and company, in 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 Jeff Pass and those guys that's over there at the NFL's office on Park Avenue has tried and been trying to continue to move things into where we don't even have these type of conversations from a diversity standpoint. Over the time, we got to get the owners to start to think like the NFL opposed to their country club members and their bingo playing partners and whatever their yachts and private, they got to stop thinking like that. And they got to start thinking totally different and not be afraid. Don't be afraid of us. We are here to help you and not hurt you. And for some odd, weird reason, it's still been going on for so long and you can't put a finger on it, but there's one or two, maybe three or four or five owners that, don't even think like the other owners that we see that continue to make these glaring mistakes or subtle little remarks that you now got to have people like LZ and Bob comb through to hear or figure out what they're actually saying to really bring light to a situation. When you think about teams like the Indianapolis Colts and Jim Ursay Jr., he's hired black head coaches before with no problem at all. You look at the Rooney family now, Mike Tomlin's been coaching there for 15 years. People have called for his head many times over, but all he does is continue to get extension after extension after extension. So we got to have many of the owners practice what they preach. I mean, until they start to have friends that look like me and LZ and Craig, we're going to have these constant issues because a lot of them, many of them, if you think about the 32 owners in the National Football League, how many of them do you think truly have black friends? Not black people that they've hired to work within one or two or three or four or five of their companies, but people that they call and say, hey, where's Shaniqua? I want her to come over for dinner tonight. <laughs> that they don't. That doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. That doesn't sound like something Jerry Jones has ever said. No, <laughs> I'm pretty sure Jerry Jones has asked about Shaniqua, but not for the reasons in which you might be thinking. Um, I, I, I sit there. I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna leave that alone. 
Yeah, so right, listen, it's there are pictures, man. Don't, don't, I'm not making stuff up. The pictures are out there, so you know it is what it is. I hear what you're saying, Key, in terms of there being individuals, right? That makes the conglomerate. The conglomerate doesn't control the individuals; it's the other way around. But when you see Colin Kaepernick universally be kept out of the league, when you know that the Rooney Rule has been around about 20 years. And in that 20 years, there's been more than 120 head coach openings and only 15 have been filled by black men, one of which only had the job for one season. And we know what that was all about in Houston. I can't help but think, yes, they're individual, but they're also connected somehow in their worldview. And saying that the NFL is not responsible in the larger sense because they're individuals seems to give that worldview a pass in my estimation, because You can't deny the fact that they all seem to be on the same page when it comes to what this leadership should look like. Well, here's what I'll say to that, though, LZ, is when you talk about the individual owners, they all have minds of their own. Some owners have coaches in place already. They're not firing their coaches. They don't need to solicit anyone because they have people on staff already that's taken care of. But the league itself, the NFL and Roger Goodell cannot force or make or mandate X amount of black coaches and general managers to be hired every single year. They can't do that. They can only suggest and ask because, again, the owners do what they want to do. It's their teams. And so when he's having conversations with the league, you're going to have four or five people stand up and say, okay, I'll do whatever you want. But the other guys are going to say, no, I'm not with that. And so now you have all these different minds that don't even think alike. You have these budding heads. You go back to 1989 when Art Shell was hired by the Oakland Raiders. That was an independent hire from a renegade in Al Davis. But Al Davis understood us. As black men, he grew up in Brooklyn. His team was in Oakland. He had black players that he loved. So he was not like, oh, I, you know, afraid. This wasn't Daniel Snyder. This wasn't Jerry Richardson, who actually played with black players in the National Football League. This wasn't that. This was a, an owner who said, bump the NFL. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it and not the way you guys are all sitting around talking about it in your little meeting rooms. I'm getting out of here. And so that's what you have to have in order for us to get the equal footing that we deserve. You have to have owners independently say, I'm going to hire him because I'm comfortable. My wife is comfortable. My kids are comfortable. This makes the right sense because he's the right guy for the job, opposed to finding ways on how not to hire a black person. I'm not sure we have those owners now, do you? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, honestly, like I, I look at the 32 owners, I'm not seeing a bunch of likely candidates, I would put it. There, you know, you're right, Will. And the Rooney rule probably worked the best with the Rooney family because when they were about to hire Mike Tomlin after Bill Carroll retired, Russ Grimm was expected to, to get that job. It was almost a no-brainer. And the Rooney rule was in place, and the team interviewed Mike Tomlin And he hit it off with Dan Rooney, and the rest is history. You're talking about a Hall of Fame trajectory for Mike Tomlin. I was interviewing Jim Rooney, the son of of Dan Rooney, 
and grandson of, of Art Rooney, who was part of this ban on black players in the 30s and 40s. And Jim said, you know, the NFL misses, it misses Dan Rooney for this reason, because Dan had a way of talking to owners and not lecturing them, kind of cajoling them, maybe just suggesting some things in a way that, you know, he'd put his arm around an owner and say, hey, you know, why, why don't you look at, at your situation this way? You know, I, there's, a, there's a couple of coaches out there that you might want to consider. Listen, I did it myself, and it really worked, and just, you know, think about it. And you don't have that now yeah. among we, NFL owners. We need more billionaire whispers. I guess. They're very. <laughs> yeah. just, I got to be honest with you, Bob. That That's just right. sounds absolutely awful to me. Why? It, it really. <laughs> it, it sounds like the. It sounds like the conversation that happened after President Obama was elected. You know, it's like I voted for a black guy for president. You should give it a shot. Oh, <laughs> and yeah, but I, you know what? Like, forget that. Forget that example. I, I said it poorly. Like you know, really, because Dan, I, I think he was pure of heart. When he was talking about that, I think he was trying to change minds. This thing is only going to happen when the owners change hearts and change minds yep. among, the, among themselves. Exactly. And Dan was an example of a guy whose heart changed and whose mind changed over time. He was a progressive owner. He, he just was. And, and his team was over time. Those kinds of discussions don't really occur among NFL owners. They are these independent and stubborn people who will do things their own way, and there's just not the kind of representation that there should be at the head coaching level. It's better at the coordinator level. It's certainly better at the position level. The head coaching level, the most high-profile part of it, is way out of whack. Yeah, and, it, and it's going to always be higher at the position level because guess what? They can't win without us, and they know that. And you need somebody to be able to talk to us a certain way. And position coaches have relationships with skill position players, for instance. And so you got to be able to have that conversation. In college football, the assistant coaches or the recruiters that go to the black neighborhoods and the inner cities and bring the kids to the white universities because the white dude can't roll up and park his car in front of the house and get out and go talk to mama. And that conversation ain't even going to sound right. Mama ain't sending her kid to go deal with no white man in Alabama. Mama like, no. So Debo Sweeney. They, they send the brother in to go get him and take care of business. Imagine in the NFL when you think about what you two would write, hothead wide receiver. Imagine a hothead wide receiver, a white man trying to deal with a hothead wide receiver. It's not going to go over very well. Where a black receiver coach could calm things down, speak the same language, have that conversation and feel comfortable having that conversation. Position coaches, they're not comfortable, but we're not bright enough in, in their eyes to be a coordinator, so to speak. Yeah, there are some guys that have titles. This is why Lovey Smith said, no, I'm hiring Pep Hamilton as the offensive coordinator, but he's going to coordinate. He ain't going to just be a title. You have to have people that are comfortable in powerful positions to put you in that position. So Lovey Smith being in that position as head coach put Pep Hamilton in position to be offensive coordinator. And it goes the same thing for ownership. It goes same thing for president of the team. The moment that we can get an owner and a president of a team, it's our duty to reach out and help the less fortunate ones 
give them those opportunities so they can now climb up and give others opportunities. And it's okay. Yeah, we always want to hire the right person, but we have qualified people of color that I would argue that probably would do a better job than most of the dudes that they hire in the NFL. In fact, I know they would. If I took 10 black assistant coaches in the National Football League and 10 white coaches in the NFL, I would argue that my 10 coaches will dominate those 10 coaches and put a team together. I promise you that. But we'll, we'll probably never see that unless Denny Green comes back alive. <laughs> You've had an opportunity to talk to a lot of people in the NFL since the publishing of your fantastic book. Obviously, we've seen the NFL honor these four families for their tremendous sacrifice and helping to improve the NFL. But where does the league go from here? Where they go from here? Goodell himself will say, we have a problem with the hiring of black coaches. There is not enough representation among black head coaches in the NFL. It's not. It's it's fact. But I think that they do want to move forward. And I don't think enough owners are in lockstep with that. They just operate in two separate realities. So you have the NFL saying the right things and Roger Goodell. I think he means well, but it doesn't really matter if the 32 owners that form this league aren't collectively acting in a way that is right and in step with who the people are in the NFL who should be getting more chances. It's all about who you're comfortable around and who you're comfortable with for them. It really truly is. Like I said, how many of those owners really have friends, people of color? Like, honestly, think about it. Everything is private schools. Everything is big houses and country clubs. Everything is behind gates. They live in a different world. They don't see it the same way we do. They just don't. I've been around enough of them, spent time with a lot of them privately and sit up and just shake my head because they don't get it. You know, they're billionaires. They like, this is the way we operate. I can't believe, you know, oh, oh, you did that before? It's like, yeah, that's the way the world works. (laughs) Are you lost? (laughs) You know, and so when you look at it, there's only a handful of them. Guys like Steve Bashotti, he gets it. He really, truly gets it. He doesn't have any issues. But guess what? He has a head coach. His head coach is doing just fine. So he doesn't need to hire a black head coach. But if he did need to, he'd be one of the first ones, I believe, that would. And, you know, there's just some of those guys, man, their brains. And I, and I like to think that the more younger the owners are, the more hip they are. And they kind of get, get it. it because yeah. they didn't grow up a certain way. They kind of, you know, Steve Bashotti was able to buy his team. Art Modell didn't hand him the team. He, it's not like the McCaskies, so to speak. Or, or you look at the San Francisco 49ers and the Bartolo, but then his sister, Denise, and then her husband, Jed York, that, that was handed <laughs> to them. They didn't work for it. So it's a little bit different mindset. You're thinking about John Mara. The only team I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Bob, the only team in the National Football League who has never, ever hired a black head coach. I know they had an interim Perry Fuel for like a week. And only team to never have a starting black quarterback, although they do try to throw Geno Smith in there <laughs> to cover that up. But that's just their thought process and their mindset. And it's unfortunate. It really, truly is. 
You know, a lot of people have asked me, how can you continue to be an NFL fan, LZ, when you write about the issues that you do? And my, my answer is very simple. I love football and I still love the NFL. Just because you criticize it or want it to be better doesn't mean you need to throw it all away in order for that to happen. And so hopefully your book, this conversation, this weekend gets a real legitimate and genuine conversation going about this hiring disparity. And hopefully we come out much better as a whole, as the NFL community on the other side. We're going to wrap it up here. I want to thank Key, Bob, and Craig for joining us. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having us. Make sure to read The Forgotten First. It's a fantastic book. A lot of good information on there. And catch Key on ESPN's NFL Live and on his weekday morning show, Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. Thanks, everyone, for listening to The Long Game with LZ and Leach. We'll be back on Wednesday with another podcast. So listen out for us then. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.